Возлюбленный Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к преддверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество, все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег, могущество Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше, от Духа Твоего. Пропитай нас Духом Твоим Святым. Позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, виде Его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец Сын Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться. Сердце песня новая звучит, Что мне нас спаситель мой. Я с тобою всюду, я твой щит, Не пугайся тьмы земной. Иисус мой спаситель, Радость Но 
So if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain the depth of the unknown for us wealth that is purposed to us in Jesus Christ. The book of Matthew 5:45 and 48, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called, Called to Perfection. <clears throat> this is a call that the mind of man cannot fully comprehend 
or accept. And sometimes as a slogan, people read it, state it, but rarely does God reveal the wisdom to understand that if you confess this place of Scripture, you read it, you read it as a destruction to yourself because you speak idle words, you call to perfection that you don't know anything about. If you can imagine for yourself, God calls a person through Christ that he be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect. Can, I ask the question, can a person in this mortal body be perfect as the Heavenly Father? Is this possible? At the same time when we they're being preached we're weak we are a weak creation god loves us as we as we are god accepts us as we are this tolerant sermon that god accepts god does not accept us accept us as we are why then would god call us to perfection he accepts only those who are in accordance to the image and likeness of god And when he gives this image and likeness to man in his seed from which a person is born, in a person there's a potential that is born from God that he needs to open up and needs to build upon. When a child is born, he has the potential of his parents. If he, if his father is a king and he's a potential king, but he still has nothing of that in him, but in him it exists. And when he grows, this child needs to be then taught. He needs to have servants to assist him so that he can be prepared so that when the father is gone, he takes the throne to direct an empire and rule. As we are kings and priests to God, yes, genetically we have the potential of the Heavenly Father. But to open up this potential and become perfect, it is necessary for us to be students. We need to learn and we need to know how to open up this potential. And so this promise contained in the commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all generations and this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically to his students. Therefore, people who do not accept God's delegated authority over themselves have no part in the inheritance that is contained in this commandment and are not able to have it. And if they dare to confess with their mouth those things that they don't understand, did not comprehend with their heart, that does not exist in their heart, the commandment will work against them and not for them. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man, specifically the goals that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue. And in part, we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart, received by us in the two broken tablets, in which we died by the law for the law to live for the one that died and resurrected and by doing so receive confirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of the covenant in the format of the law of the spirit of life so that we provide God a basis to give us the promise to be heirs of peace not by the past law but by the righteousness of faith like he gave it to Abraham and his seed.
For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, Romans 4.13. We need to know that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, which is presented in the preached word of God sent, together with the person who represents the fatherhood of God for us and is our head. Therefore, the promise of the peace of God these are again commandments instructions of God and so just reading them we won't understand them because the faith of God is not what from what we read but from what you hear God wanted that his word be heard and be living so that it would filter through a person whom is in his likeness, who is sent by him, that is anointed by him by the Holy Spirit. And our faith is obedience to the faith of God, obedience to what we hear. And so the promise of the peace of God is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God in accordance to which God sends us his word by the mouth of his delegated people. People refuse to understand this order. They go, they go to learn. They go to religious places to learn, to be students, or, or to be teachers, to be uh, instructors, and so forth. But not a single missionary service or, or organization or spiritual uh, place of learning has the legitimate right to do this. God did not place them as leaders. He placed at the head of all of his church. The church needs to send its missionaries, and the church needs to teach. If you can imagine, if the apostles decided to create an institute and would select people, uh, that they would that would be able to learn them. But what do we do with the rest of the people? At one time, an Episcopal, Pentecostal Episcopal, uh, we had just come here. He was at the, he attended our service. He, and then he asked me a question, Brother Akadi. This is wisdom that you preach. I don't think that it's for all of these minds. You need to create an institute and be the head of the institute and teach people because what you preach, these people can't comprehend. And I asked them, did you understand what I had preached today? And he said, Diff with difficulty, but yes. But I And I said, why did you decide that you are more capable than the people that were listening today? And these people understand me better than you do. For some reason, people have the opinion about this kinds of opinions about institutes that speak of themselves, but God is unchanging in his words. I said, I want that God's righteousness be reestablished, that the greatest institute and given law would be the Church of Jesus Christ and all would be able to be students there. But to receive a, a specific uh, doctorate degrees, 
There is no necessity for this. God says, I don't, this is not what you need. You need the fruit of the Spirit. Do not replace the fruits of the Spirit with a doctorate degree. One gentleman who was in our service, he is no longer here, he had said these words, I finished the inst- an institute, and when I finished it, if I had faith till this time, till the time that I had finished it, it's all gone now. I absolutely have no authority or faith because the institute destroyed all of that. Because in this institute, I needed to submit exams. Every idea, I had to present it and just support it with scripture. They taught us that this theologian said this, this theologian said this, and you can actually present your own and uh, support it with places of scripture Uh, and based upon this they will give you either uh, it will give you a degree and so people and so people come to me and say I have this kind of degree or this that I received and so I tell them what now you are arrogant and people that I've disqualified for sin they went and finished and received diplomas they began to drink, commit fornicating works, but all surrounding churches accept them because they have a medal. They are dis- he is disqualified by Pastor Arkady. For them, it's a it's almost a virtue, and it's it's a, an honorable thing. However, they are who they are, and for what they were even. Uh, disqualified for. This is very unfortunate because sooner or later every one of us will need to answer for our words, for our actions and even the form of clothing we wear if it prompts the instincts of the opposite sex. Do not trust that you will receive salvation. You will end up in hell. You'll say, Lord, how? I prayed and fasted. I did and this and this and this. But with your clothing, you continuously attracted other people to yourself uh, sexually. If you would have had God in your heart, your clothing would be in accordance to that. It would be appropriate to that. It needs to be classical and not prompt anything like this. We've noted that the promise of peace is only given to those people that are obedient to the order of God in accordance to which God sends to us the words by the mouth of his delegated people. Therefore, the covenant of peace within the heart of a man is the result of the obedience of, of his faith to the faith of God, which, this, which is the spoken word of God's delegated ones. To examine a person as to whether he truly is sent by God to present to us his words is to be done by the power of delegation within the implemented by God order and by the existing within our heart anointing to identify the voice of God in the mouth of that person who is supposed to represent the paternship of God to us. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, anti that's against Christ, a hater of Christ or Satan in the flesh. Satan is a hater of Christ. The Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come. 
by which we know that it is the last hour. And now, very, very important, who are these antichrists? Who is this Satan in the flesh? Where did they come from? Who are they? They are not the world and not people of the world and not atheists. Because atheists do not go against Christ. They, they don't know him to do that. They can say things. There's no God, there's no God. But these are just people of uh, a problematic mind. And an atheist is similar to if there's a glass and he says there's no glass. An antichrist is one that doesn't say God doesn't exist. He wants to pervert God's commandments, God's order. They went out from us. These are the antichrists. But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all these things. These things I have written to, those con to you concerning those who try to deceive you. 1 John 2, 18 through 26. Find me amongst... Uh, find me a church in just the Portland area here, a Slavic church that was not created by the form of division. One leaves, one group leaves, then another group leaves, then they divide against, uh, uh, divide it amongst themselves again and then create another church. And so what are these congregations and how will God identify them? This is God's work in accordance to Scripture, those congregations that have uh, been created, not according to the teaching of Christ, but because of their own ambitions and have led people out of the churches of God. These are the synagogues of Satan. By the means of the righteousness of faith, the covenant of peace demonstrated in the inheritance of peace is called to abide and be within, within the heart of a man evidence of the fact that he is a child of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace present in the covenant of peace is actually the treasury of our hope in God, containing the complex of all of the promises of God that, when accomplished, is the goal of the given to us righteousness. Therefore, it is righteousness by the means of the peace of God contained in the covenant of peace that can and is called to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6-7 The peace of God that is able to guard our thoughts in Christ Jesus are thoughts that are renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, 6 through 8. This place of scripture is read often. From six years of age, I already heard this place of Scripture. And those who spoke about this place could never actually identify what a carnal mind was and a spiritual mind to identify these things. They, did, they didn't know how to. 
In order to have a spiritual mind, you need to be spiritual. But an infant in Christ cannot have a spiritual mind. He's still of the flesh. He cannot possess a spiritual mind. To have a spiritual mind, you need to first become spiritual. And to become spiritual, you need to be a student and grow. And this is a process until you finally become spiritual and are able to have spiritual, a spiritual form of mind. And so this place of scripture is not uh, written for those that are infants in Christ, but those that are in full measure in growth in Christ. According to this statement, we conclude that people who have rejected the condition where the truth of the preached word in the power of the Holy Spirit renews their mind by the spirit of their mind have no connection to the peace of God and are not able to have it. And consequently, such people have no connection to and cannot have connection to the sons of peace either, that by the means of the peace of God would inherit eternal salvation in the kingdom of heaven. We need to apprehend well that it is only by the collaboration of our spirit with our renewed mind that is within Christ Jesus that we are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ. Therefore, to look at the righteousness of faith so we bring about the inheritance of the peace of God and the condition outlining the way our righteousness needs to garment itself into the armor of this peace so that our minds would be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, we have been studying the following question. By what signs are we able to determine, examining ourselves, that we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God? Because it is by the reign of the peace of God within our heart that we are able to examine ourselves as to whether we are truly the sons of God. As it is written, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, Matthew 5, 9. These are the words of Christ. With this we've noted that if a person has not died for his nation by the death of the Lord Jesus, was not separated by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, died for his nation, for the house of his father, and for his fleshly life, then his justification, which he received in salvation by faith in Christ Jesus, in the format of a guarantee, will never convert into the quality and format of righteousness by which he would be able to receive the ability to be clothed into the promise of the peace of God so that he in righteousness would would bear fruits of peace. He can't be clothed into his new person if he will not die for his nation, for the house of his father, and her fleshly desires, which is why the prepared for them crown of righteousness will be taken from such people, giving them the right to the promise of peace where they can be called sons of God. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Revelations 3.11 We need to remember that the promise of the peace of God receives its power and its legitimacy within our heart only by the righteousness of our faith in the covenant of peace, which places responsibility upon both sides of the covenant, where each side or participant of the covenant is responsible to fulfill their role. 
that is implemented by God that are obligated in this covenant. And if, if either of these sides violates the conditions that were agreed upon in the covenant of peace between God and man, we note that such a violator can only be a man. Then the other side being God is released or freed from the responsibility of fulfilling the conditions of the agreement of the covenant of peace. Therefore, the fruit of righteousness identified as the peace of God within our heart is evidence of the fact that we are sons of peace. This serves as grounds or a basis for God so that He may fulfill His part contained in the covenant of peace, which consists in leading us into the inheritance of His Son, so that we would share with Him all the things that are written about Him in the laws, prophets, and psalms. Because the justification which we receive by right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth has converted into the quality and format of righteousness, where we have obtained the ability to bear the fruits of peace, within our relationship with God and with, and with those around us. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12:14. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We've noted that this place of Scripture is talking about a form of unique and supernatural peace that is to be done by God only within the boundaries of holiness and being expression and demonstration of holiness. These outlined and identified boundaries of holiness are the commandments of God containing the righteousness of God. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Romans 12:18. And so again, we cannot have peace with all men. A peace that we have with someone needs to be within the boundaries of holiness. Therefore, the peace that we dare by the inspiration of our mind to demonstrate out of the boundaries of holiness and not as an expression of holiness will be incriminated to us as a serious form of lawlessness for which we will be required to pay a price of eternal life. Because our communication with people that the scripture identify as evil company, again, that the people that the scriptures, not us, but the scriptures identify as evil company will corrupt our good habits and will transform us into their wicked image. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15, 34. People who say that God loves everyone, that we need to communicate with everyone and so forth, are people that do not know God. These are people that have already condemned themselves because they've decided to demonstrate in their behavior not the holy love of God but a tolerant love that God has no connection to. Therefore, it is impossible and criminal to have peace with the unclean and the wicked who support the unclean, who in their time accepted the truth, but then after left their church and turned away from the holy commands that were given to them, became antichrists. The very fact of the rebellion and resistance against the words spoken by God's delegated ones that are placed over them testify of the loss of peace within their heart and member them to the category of the wicked. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. This is written in other places of Scripture as well. I want to remind us that the unclean is not an atheist or a person of the world. This is a person that attempts to 
remove the pastor and take his, take his place. This is not a fornicator. This is not a drunkard. This is a person that seeks compromise and to eliminate the current person of God and take his place. Satan became a hater of God, not because he had committed a fornicating work or that he drank or smoked or did something else. He wanted God's position. And so ask any rabbi who is the unclean. He'll say it's a person attempting to take the place of the person who stands as head or leader of a holy place. In a specific format, we've already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign by which we need to judge that we are a part of, of the sons of peace. This is the ability to clothe your essence into the holy and selective love of God. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3, 14, 15. We are called to the peace of God in one body, and not out of the boundaries of the body, the body of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and of course, this again is referring not to the called, but the chosen. And so it is specifically the body of Christ, it consists of the chosen, that is chosen from the many saved nations that are condemned because they refused to behave, with, behave speak, and dress in a way that was appropriate according to God's will. According to this place of scripture, the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible only upon one condition, and that is if the selective love of God will abide within our heart, and if we will be clothed into the selective love of God. By itself, the selective love of God is an uncomprehending for the human mind goodness of God or kindness that is inherent to God. We also see concealed in the selective love of God the good, wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehending for the human mind goals and works of God. Comprehending the selective love of God is called to fill us with all the fullness of the peace of God or make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Ephesians 3:16 through 19 That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of God of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. However, to come to more practical conclusions when it comes to the selective love of God, we decided to look at the character and quality contained in the selective love of God in the form of the seven qualities of true virtue presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the spoken words of the apostles and, prophet and prophets and that have been sealed for eternity in Scripture and that God continues to keep. God keeps this. You could have, say, God continues to preserve His truth 
in a miraculous way, he continues to preserve his truth that it cannot change because they could have easily perverted or changed up these places and distributed them, but the original continues to uh, remain. And so oftentimes people will present the so-called truth uh, is they'll present, uh, attempt to support it with places of scripture, but it won't, won't be supported as it is. And so the qualities, again, the fruits of holiness, this virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, elements of love here, Second Peter 1, 2 through 8. Each of the seven qualities of the fruit of virtue contains, this is again, one fruit that has all of the rest, contains the characteristics of all of the rest of the qualities as they flow one from the other, complete or support one the other, strengthen one the other, and confirm the truthful nature of one the other. Second, these qualities are called to be the moral perfection and example inherent to the essence of God in the heart of a person. Third, the given qualities are the great and precious promises given to us in Jesus Christ. Fourth, the given qualities are the imperishable treasure and wealth which, with which we need to become rich. And this is something we need to do with our whole body, spirit, soul, and body. We need to become rich with the imperishable treasure. Fifth, in order to receive the inheritance of these qualities, it is necessary for us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life. Infants are not able to accept the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of their life. They receive Him as a guest only. That's why in their churches they sing, Holy Spirit, the guest from heaven. That's why in their churches they continually, starting their service, we invite the Holy Spirit. Even invite Him when they have a banquet. Our, our friends let us stand on our feet, they say, as if they're and call the Holy Spirit. As the Jews, if you remember, they left a seat for Prophet Elijah in case he comes and enters, and they always had a chair available for Prophet Elijah in case he came. And so when I asked questions, when they invite the Holy Spirit, they would... They always looked at me and says, don't speak foolish things. But I said, you invited the Holy Spirit, and then you leave, and so what does he do? You came him, you invited him as a guest here, and now what? You leave and leave him here. And the only thing they could say is, don't speak foolish things. And I wanted them to understand what they were doing. The means that we are to utilize for receiving the power of the Holy Spirit is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. 
By inheriting these great and precious promises, we become a part of God's divine nature. Therefore, the selective love of God demonstrated in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with the nature of human love that is filled with egoism, greed, and is just temporary. It is the selective love of God in the format of seven qualities of unearthly virtue that is called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly body into the resurrection of Christ that is into our new person. And again, this is here on earth and not in heaven that this will happen. Here on earth, we need to see and experience this. As Job said, I believe that my Redeemer lives and he with these eyes will let me see my body be put back together and I will be able to see this. I believe my Redeemer lives. Job had knowledge that his body is redeemed by God. And he looked at this promise and continued to look at it being suffering and his body being destroyed the way it was. He believed in redemption. He lived an upright and righteous life. And God boasted about Job before the devil. Have you ever seen such a righteous person? Because this righteous person did not put his deeds before God or others. He just stated that I believe that my Redeemer lives. And what I have is the result of redemption. This is not me, but he who had made me this way. Many people want to make themselves righteous by doing some kind of uh, something, uh, either service or good work. He became righteous by the gift of grace. I believe my Redeemer lives. He will allow me to see with my own eyes the repairing of my broken body. The quality of the selective love of God does not compare in any way with the tolerant love of man or the understanding or opinions of a, of, of a man. Because the virtue of the selective love of God are eternally existing virtues, qualities, and characteristics of the Heavenly Father and His all-consuming holiness and all that comes from God, because God is love. Holy love is separated from all that man calls love. And such an uncomprehending for our mind, transcendent love of God is identified in Scripture as the bond of perfection, which directs us to the fact that the selective love of God is placed by God as first of all of his other perfections identified as his virtues. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, Colossians 3.14. The bond of perfection of the selective love of God is unconditional when it comes to the seven qualities of virtue. It's not unconditional in, gen in general. As they say, God's love is unconditional. It is selective. But when it comes, its unconditional character, nature, is 
within the seven qualities of virtue or people who have the, have these virtues. Unlike the tolerant and egotistical love of man, the unconditional nature of the selective love of God in the seven qualities of virtue is different in that it contains a burning jealousy of God, all his knowledge and his absolute wisdom that in no way is able to be used for greedy and egotistical purposes or goals of a man. At the same time, the tolerant love of man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy and egotistical purposes because the tolerant love is a blind love and that is why they are, they pride themselves with the sayings that they have as a love can be so blind as it can make uh, one a fool. You can love evildoers and all kinds of sinners, homosexuals and any others, they say. Here is what the scriptures say about the strength of the love of God. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give all love, and the wealth of his house it would be utterly despised songs of solomon 867 the measure of the love of god is identified by and is known by the measure of god's hatred toward evil and men who do this evil you loved righteousness and hated lawlessness and another place says God loves those who loved him and hates those who hate him because only loving what God loves and hating what God hates we demonstrate God's reaction to good and evil the selective love of God by its unchanging nature in the format of seven supernatural qualities is called to grow us into the fullness of growth in Christ or lead us into the perfection that is like the perfection of our Heavenly Father. Considering that these seven qualities of virtue do not have an analog in the earthly realm of the human lexicon. In other words, you will not find this definition in any dictionary the dictionaries of the world. Yes, there will be a definition in there of virtue, self-control, and all of these, but they will not be as the scriptures identify these qualities. The love of God is the foundation and atmosphere of the moral and immovable law, opening within our heart the essence of God and the essence of the heavenly kingdom. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love which is unconditional when it comes to the people it chooses in its abilities to foreknow and predestine that are in accordance to God's nature, holy nature. Because of its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates the sovereign rights of those people she selects and never allows her own sovereign rights. Again, she does not break in. She stands at the door and knocks. She never violates the sovereign rights of those people she selects. She knocks and waits for you to open. She may wait even tens of years standing at the door of the human heart. Not at the door of any human heart, but the children of God. Because here it's talking about the children of God. It knocks to a person 
with and is telling this person, it's time for you to leave this position of infancy and make me master and Lord of your life. The door is closed in people that are of the flesh. They don't understand the essence that we need. you need to accept him as the Lord and master of your life. They say, I have my own head. I have my own Bible. Calling the book of God their own personal book. The Bible is not our book. It is God's book. It's God's Bible. And our head is not able to understand it. The, the Bible is given for the heart, not the mind. For the mind, you could read other books. The sermon that is inspired by the Holy Spirit is given to the heart of a person. And so we perfectly understand the meaning here and so we again we see that it never violates the sovereign rights of those people she selects and never allows her own sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated <clears throat> these boundaries identified as his burning holiness in a specific format we have already looked at the demonstration of the selective love of God in the qualities of virtue knowledge self-control perseverance and stop to study the virtue of the love of God in the mystery of great godliness. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words. From such withdraw yourselves. 1 Timothy 6, 3 and 4. Everywhere where there's a commandment, where there's something holy, it keeps telling you, separate from what is not holy, separate from people, that do not follow the sober words of Jesus Christ. If it would have been a, lo a tolerant love, it would say, use the opportunity, maybe you'll change them. You will never change them. They will just infect you. Remember that once and for all. If they hear the word and don't want to follow it, break your relationship with these people. According to this place of scripture, we note that the teaching of godliness within the selective love of God and obsession with di disputes and arguments over words are not only opposites or contrary one to the other, but are also unfitting by their nature. In scripture, the discipline of godliness within the selective love of God is presented as the base or foundation of the gospel faith teaching linked together with the great mystery of godliness. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. And God does all of this by his disciples, or he, he doesn't just take and show himself. In order to show himself, he needed to show himself in the church and by the church, that it be made known by the church to the principalities in heaven the wisdom of God. He showed himself to the angels by the church and by the church he showed that he had been raised from the dead because the remnant of God is that mountain, that city on a hill and that candle in the house. 
By demonstrating the signs of the fruits of godliness, we identified the true quality of the love of God agape within the heart of a man, in his words, his actions, and the manner in which he or she expresses, which isn't supposed to prompt instincts of the opposite sex. The scriptures are not against style, but it is against those types of garments or clothing that show parts of the body that we are supposed to be covering up to appear uh, proper before God. In Scripture, the meaning contained in the virtue godliness describes the legitimate relationship of the saints and God bound together in a mutual union or covenant. Furthermore, the essence of the selective love of God and godliness is determined and demonstrated in mutual obligation of God and man, outlined and made perpetual by God in a mutual covenant of peace with God. Relevant to this fact, it was necessary for us to respond to four classical questions. What are the characteristics of godliness in Scripture, that of God as well as that of man? What purpose is godliness called to fulfill within the relationship of God with man and man with God? What conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our godliness with the godliness or kindness of God? kindness of God, also godliness of God, God's mercy. Fourth, by what signs are we, to deter- are we to determine that our godliness is truly collaborating with the godliness of God? In a specific format, as much as God is allowed in the measure of our faith, we have already looked at for the first two questions and stopped to study the third question, what conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our godliness with the godliness of God? Or what conditions do we need to fulfill to attract the favor of God upon us in the form of His godliness? Or in the form of His mercy? And before we continue to study the given virtue of the mystery of godliness, we noted that there is a fundamental difference between the goodness of God in in His favor toward man and the godliness of a man which he is called to demonstrate in his love to God. For example, the godliness of man in his fa- is his favor to God, a man's grace to God, and his thanksgiving is to visit the fatherless and widow in their hardship. This is, again, the ability and decision to, of a person to do this. Keep yourself from being defiled by the world. This is the ability to imitate Christ and meditate about the things of the hills. It's to see God in his good, acceptable, and perfect will. This is the definition of the godliness of a man or the favor of a man toward God. And now the godliness or favor of God. The godliness of God is his goodness, his favor, and his grace toward man who seeks him, not all men in general, but because the love of God is selective to those who, to, for those whom, who seek him. His favor and his grace toward those who seek him, his mercifulness towards those that repent, his thanksgiving, he is thankful, he demonstrates his thanksgiving toward man, because the word, uh, because thanks, grace and thanksgiving, it's one of its elements. This is his work and 
his good work and his good acts, and his kindness in the, in the absolute sense of the word. The goodness of God in his favor toward man is the uncomprehending and inaccessible for the mind of man kindness of God identified in his good, acceptable, and perfect will, which was formed in the entrails of the Heavenly Father and elevated by him as a law of grace in the form of his commandments, which God has magnified above all his names and placed himself in dependence from his word contained in his commandment. And he revealed that, of course, to his son, his Holy Spirit, and his remnant. Why he did this? Because he foreknew and predestined that this remnant be in the image of his son so that his son be the firstborn among many brothers, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, Romans 8.29. The Old as well as the New Testament identified that virtue of the love of God in the discipline of godliness as one of the greatest mysteries of God himself, which defends and makes the sincere love of God impossible for counterfeit and falsification. Aside from these characteristics called to identify the character of godliness, there's also also a counterfeit form of godliness that exists as well, that conflicts or resists the true form of godliness. Having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people turn away. 2 Timothy 3.5 As soon as it's something godly, immediately those that are not in accordance to this uh, quality of godliness you need to separate yourself from this category of people. True godliness in man perfectly differentiates or identifies a counterfeit form of godliness in man and with disdain break all relations or contact with them and distances itself from them as it reveres and trembles before all the dictations of God and possesses discipline capable of fulfilling these dictations with great accuracy. If we don't break our relationship with people that have the look of godliness and will not distance ourselves from them, then they will corrupt our godliness that is contained in our good habits, which is why we together with them will inherit the prepared for them destruction. Therefore, a continuation of, thir of the third question, what conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our own godliness with the goodness of God or attract the favor of God upon ourselves. To attract God's favor upon yourself in the selective love of God, it is necessary to carefully and closely listen to God in the preached words spoken by His delegated ones. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Isaiah 55, 2. To delight yourself in abundance of the preached word of God means to com be comforted and rejoice in the anointed power of the Holy Spirit, which abides in the truth of the preached word. Only in the situation where a person has gotten to know the truth of the elementary principles of, te of the teaching of Christ and the twelve foundations of the wall of the New Jerusalem and its twelve pearly gates, God will anoint him with the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. I have put my wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans, that they may make all that I have commanded you. Exodus 31, 6. In other words, the anointing power of the Holy Spirit in the form of the wisdom that comes from above can abide only within the boundaries or parameters of the truth of the elementary principles of Christ, which is also which also is the form of the wisdom of the Holy God. And upon practice, the anointing power of the Holy Spirit in the form of wisdom that comes from above is given by God only to those men whose heart contains 
the abiding wisdom in the form of the truth of the elementary principles of Christ. And only a person that attentively and closely listens to the preached word spoken by God's delegated ones and has grown into full measure of the fullness of Christ can have the this unition of the two formats of wisdom in his heart. The New Jerusalem is the symbol of the Bride of the Lamb and the symbol of the new person created in accordance to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth who has an organic membership to the symbolic Bride of the Lamb in the form of the chosen by God remnant or chosen by God flock. A person is created by God with such a necessity and such a purpose which is to build himself into the perfection that is in the image and likeness of God by the means of closely living listening to the word of God, also with the desire or necessity to eat the good word, to delight his soul with the abundance of God's good word. To listen to the anointed word carefully or closely is the price that we are called to pay for the right so that this preached word become for us the bread of life and a delight for our soul. And this price includes a voluntary and joyful obedience and acceptance of the authority of the word of that person that represents the fatherhood of God over our, over us. To examine a person on the element of the fatherhood or paternity of God is to be done by the anointing that abides in his words in the format of two formats of wisdom giving you the ability to know the inheritance of the saints in building the new Jerusalem in the form of the new person and also the ability to see the sight, the signs of the times in the Proverbs and works of God in the events that have passed and link these past events with the ones that are current and those that will be. In Him we have redemption through His blood and the f- forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He proposed himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. And understandably, in order to know who who we need to listen to closely, and in order to eat of the good word and be delighted in the abundance of the good word, it is necessary to know the criteria and characteristic of true anointing in order to differentiate it from the fake and counterfeit version. Otherwise, we will be accepting the demonstration of the supernatural power of the wicked one as the anointing power of the Holy Spirit in men who replace the anointing power of the Holy Spirit with its counterfeit. We need to be enlightened in the truth that the anointing of God in men in the form of his power, in its form, in its purpose, and extent of its demonstration can be either merciful and constructive or punishable and destructive. Let every soul to be subject <coughs> to the government authorities, for there is no authority except authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you know? Do you want to to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the word in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Romans 13, 1-6 In the given situation, the form of anointing is presented in all human authority which is necessary in order to keep peace where the Church of Christ, as the Bride of the Lamb, could be disciplined and perfected. We more than once noted that the fact 
noted this fact that the political systems of the world that change out one from the other in wars and bloodshed is first the atmosphere necessary for the construction of the body of Christ into a spiritual house and a holy priesthood, and second, this is the harvest that the nations have sown. In other words, all the technological successes, natural cataclysms and anomalies, inflations, infectious illnesses, hunger, revolutions, and wars is the harvest and atmosphere necessary for the construction of each individual person into the body of Christ, into a spiritual house, and a holy priesthood. And all of this is the result of the destructive power of anointing given by God to individual people in the rank of kings, dictators, and presidents called to draw the world into the abyss of the wrath of God. Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Assyria. Also you shall anoint Jehu the son of Nimshai as king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat and Abel Mechalai you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the word of Jehu, Elisha will kill. First King 19, 15-17 Fairly recently, we together paid attention to the fact that anointing that is given by God to man in the form of power depends on the state in which God, God's heart is currently. <clears throat> the state of the heart of God depends on the relationship of his nation and the person who represents the parentage or fatherhood of God. When the nation of Israel rejected Samuel and asked him to give them a king, as the other as the other nations had, they, by doing this, rejected God. When they rejected Samuel, the representative of the fatherhood of God, they rejected God so that he not rule over them, and God anointed for them another king in his wrath, and afterwards he rejected him in his anger. O oh, Israel, you are destroyed, but your help is from me. I will be, I'll be your king, where is another, any other, that he may save you in all of your cities, and your judges, to whom you said, Give me a king and princes. I gave you a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath. Here's how Apostle Paul formulated the essence of the given anointing in one of his sermons addressed to Israel. And afterwards they asked for a king, so God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From the man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. In this portion of the given sermon, we are greeted with another form of anointing. When God anointed David and and the sta status of God's heart that was opened and favorable toward David. We need to know that each person that has a membership to the body of Christ is anointed by God to fulfill their unique role in the body of Christ upon the condition that this person is a voluntary de involuntary dependence of the anointing of the apostles and prophets. For all of the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. So not a single promise of God again can be obtained without us, those people whom God has placed, who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 2 Corinthians 1.20-22 
Returning to the price that gives us the ability to draw the favor of God upon us, consisting in closely listening to the preached word of God, so that our soul can delight in the abundance of this good word or anointing power of this word. I would like to define the anointing power of God that consists in the truth of his word and belongs exclusively to kings, priests, and prophets of the Most High. This first, anointing is the sovereign authority of the Holy Spirit, is the unison of the truth of the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Here we're talking about what anointing is. This is a sacred fragrance, the wisdom of God giving power to know God, the authority of God given to man, the immune system of the Holy Spirit given to man, the legitimate right to approach God the ability to fulfill your calling, the ability to differentiate the good of God and its counterfeit. This is also the truth in action. <clears throat> Anointing is safety of God from harm of the second death. Anointing is the weapon for war. And anointing is the reigning grace of God. Summing up the above-mentioned anointing, this is the unification of two formats of wisdom in the form of the Thummim and Urim. Anointing is the power of the Most High called to clothe us into the capabilities of the Most High to dedicate us by the form of separation from the typical life in order to fulfill the given to us by God calling, which is the will of the Most High for us. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. And you shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. You shall anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may be ministers to me as priests. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood through their generations. Exodus 40, 13-15. The ruling essence of, of this anointing consists in accomplishing redemption in a person from the power of sin and death so that we can eradicate and destroy within our body the stronghold of sin and death in the form of the old person with his deeds and erect the stronghold of, of eternal life in its place. Our time is up. However, whoever can, please bend our knees and we will pray. And those who desire to be freed of their sins, dependences, illnesses. You can come here to the front and we will pray for you. And God is faithful to his word that if you will make the decision to leave your sins, confess your sins, because possibly your illness is the reason for your sin, is the reason because of, of sin or something you've done that God will deliver you God will open your heart God will give you the ability to know the power of resurrection that is called to be enthroned in your bodies give you the ability to accept this promise to clothe you into the resurrection of Christ Amen, let us pray and pray together with me Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ I come to you with an opened heart. I confess my sins. I hate them. I leave them. I want to be delivered from dependence of sin, from the dependence of my old person, 
I hate my character. I want to have your character. My heart is opened for your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask you, forgive me. Wash you by the blood of your Son. Heal my wounds. Enter into my heart and be a king and master of my life. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven, and your lawless works are forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord forgive you, and may he bless you. May God's blessing be upon you, those that are of the hills and the valleys. May the Lord heal your heart and your body. May He turn His mercy upon you and upon your children. May all this be upon you and be fulfilled upon you, and the nation shall say, Amen. Blessed is the Lord that sends His word and leads us out from those catches or nets that we may have fallen into due to our character or the uncrucified soul because maybe we didn't die for our nation, the house of our father, or our desires. But God is faithful to his word that if you make the decision and will go in this direction, you will experience how a strong arm will deliver you from your old person and he will be captivated in a prison locked until a couple of years before rapture he will suddenly with noise will thrust this old person the stronghold of death out from your body and in its place he will erect the stronghold of life and your bodies will become absolutely different and untouchable being on earth they will be and have the, all the power of the Holy Spirit and will bring fear upon those who live on earth, especially the religious groups that mocked you, that considered you as lost. I thank God for this, that you can hear these words, rejoice in these words, and accept them into your heart. And now all of us together, in finishing our service, let us proclaim our manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.